Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Onug podcast. I am like so excited, you know, although it's really not the best topic to be excited about, but like I'm excited about uh, talking with Andy and James about something I think that's really near and dear and concerning to everybody, and that is what do IT teams do uh, today um, during a financial crisis? So we're going to go, we titled this like the five most important things IT teams can learn from the SVP crisis. Um, and so we wanted to bring in uh, some good knowledge and know-how from folks who have been through past crises before uh, in 2000 and basically, yeah, 2001, 2007, 2008, um, you know, and, and into present day. And I think Andy might have actually been, you know, in an operational role uh, even before that. So uh, I think we're so we're going to go through a couple of quick questions. Um, we really want this to be about. Uh, IT teams and what you can be doing and should be doing today, maybe what you're all experiencing, you know, as well, uh, and to provide you some thought leadership and some guidance around uh, how to proceed and how to move forward. So I want to just introduce, um, you know, uh, Andy Brown and also James Walker. If you haven't, if you don't know them already, they're both leaders in the ONU community. They're senior members of the community. Um, but Andy, want you to just say a quick hi and uh, provide a little bit of your background? Sure. sure. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Andy Brown. I, I'm CEO and founder of a company called Sand Hill East. Uh, we advise startups and we also work with major banks. And often that intersection between the startups and major banks is one of the most interesting, interesting places to work. And certainly this week, my lack of sleep will justify that that is definitely true. Uh, I have previously been group CTO of UBS. I, was, I ran strategy architecture and optimization at Bank of America. And I was CTO of infrastructure at Credit Suisse. And prior to that, I spent 10 years at Merrill Lynch. Great. Thanks, Andy. So impressive. Uh, James? So uh, great, great seeing it. Great seeing my, uh, my friend and uh, former colleague, Andy Brown, as well. So uh, we sort of uh, cross paths occasionally and um, have worked in some of the same firms. I started out many years ago uh, at uh, JP Morgan. I went over to uh, CSE uh, during an outsource transaction, but then came back to uh, the financial industry at Credit Suisse back in the, in the 2000s after that uh, uh, went over to Morgan Stanley. Uh, really, about the last nine or ten years, I've been at Bank of America, and just recently joined IBM to help them with uh, strategy and transformation in uh, in their cloud business. And most of the roles I've had similar to uh, similar to Andy, being in in infrastructure and uh, and networks. Awesome, great. Uh, thanks, James, and thanks, Andy. Thanks, really, both of you for such a short notice to kind of get on. Uh, the podcast as well. So uh, let's kind of dive right in. I think what we want to do is kind of like confirm to everybody what you've been experiencing. And now obviously, if you're in the financial services, you're going to be feeling this much more acutely than somebody maybe in retail um, right now. So we're going to kind of focus our discussion, our thinking around kind of financials. So Andy, why don't we kick off uh, with you? Is that um, you know I've had some discussions with some of the other board members, and they've seen traffic um, patterns and traffic volume like spiked almost 2X over the last couple of days as people have been moving money all over the place um, as they kind of look for safe harbors. Um, maybe that's only the tip of the iceberg of kind of like what they're seeing, you know, but um, I guess from your perspective, what do you think IT teams are now experiencing uh, when a crisis like this hits? Thanks for the question, Nick. Um, you know, one thing that, that I've been reminded of this last really 10 days is is the change that I made in 2008 when I actually left James at Credit Suisse and I rejoined uh, Merrill Lynch and ended up joining the day after the Bank of America Merrill sale. 
And and so, you know, what you're thinking, I think, as an IT leader, when when you're in that situation is, first of all, um, it's personal. And, and the reason it's personal is because you're a consumer of your own bank. Pretty much every uh, employee of a bank is also a customer of that same bank, and it's often legally required for that to be so. So I think it's impossible for, for the um, business side of you to be divorced from the consumer side of you when you feel like your own uh, ability to look after your family is under threat. So I think that's the first thing to say. And I think senior leaders need to acknowledge that and not ignore it. I think it's important that they know um, that, that their people are feeling unstable and are feeling worried about their future. And if you don't acknowledge that and you don't communicate about it, people will think you don't care. So I think that's the first thing to say. Uh, the second thing to say is that in times of crisis, volatility increases on every topic. So yes, volatility on trading volumes. Yes, volatility on wire volumes or ACH volumes are, are obvious things uh, to talk about. But obviously, the downstream impact of that is serious. And some of these processes are not automated. So you may not have enough humans to be able to do what is needed. And, and you know, there are clear examples of where that has happened, where it's literally taken operation staff until 6.59 a.m. the next day to get everything back up and running for the following day. So I think... Um, the, you know, it is personal for, for most people. And as a leader, your key priority is communication and, and making sure people understand that they're needed, that you want them and you want them to be calm. Mm. Now, when things move really fast, like really, really fast, and you do feel like, you know, you're, you're um, maybe 10 years worth of work to James's previous point, um, you know, could end up being worth zero. Um, then, then I think it's 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 really important to understand that your focus in that point is all about survival for yourself. You're into Maslow's hierarchy at that point. And so when people are like that, I think the communication point is super important, but keeping employees focused is super important as well. And so you have to acknowledge what they're, what how they're feeling because you're probably feeling the same way too um, and get them to focus on keeping everything running. And it isn't easy. I mean, you know, post 9-11 is definitely the most stressful situation I've ever been in like that. But honestly, I mean, that that first week back at, at Merrill Bank of America was was just, uh, you know, unbelievable. And and all of the folks who are in uh, banks that have currently been supported or whose depositors have currently been supported by the government are feeling like that right now. But in a way, it's worse to be in a bank where you think it might be about to happen. And, and you're just, you know, you're looking at CNBC every second to see what's going on. And, and, the, and this behavior becomes part of how, how you operate. You know, and before 9-11, before CNBC wasn't on in every lobby area. But mm. since then, we've become news junkies. And if you like, latest alert junkies as well. And that latest alert notification mm. on your phone all the time is another thing that's driving behavior. You just need to kind of understand and, and take into consideration. So... Um, I think I think that's kind of my answer to that question. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. really interesting. So it's like you're you're not only heightened because of the you know, the volume and the transactions and the amount of toil that's increased, but also like under enormous amount of stress when you're seeing all these notifications coming in about uh, essentially bad news, you know, or things that may be really bad news um, as well. I think maybe that's the worst, Nick. Is is like 
you know, you get a text message from your wife asking if your money's safe at a time when you've got a, a conference call running with 75 people on it. You know, and you're like, I mean, that's that's the reality of the situation, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's not, of course, um, uh, you know, just to echo what Andy said, it's not just your, that you, you might bank with the with the financial institution, but uh, you've probably been paid significantly in stock and what are called RSUs, restricted stock units, which are which are units of stock which you can't actually sell for a certain amount of time. They, they normally best over sort of three or four years. So you end up in a situation where most of your net worth, most of your savings are in bank stock and, the, and, and you're watching the, the stock price collapse. So your savings buffer has kind of disappeared. You're worried about your own liquidity if that financial institution is going to be there and you, you know, you're going to be able to write, write a check at the end of the day or, or, or you know, pay your mortgage. And um, and at the same time, as Andy said, you you might be the only person. Let's say you you, you know you, you know you're in a in a in a in a technology um, a, a crisis as well as a as a as a, as a market crisis like like nine eleven was. Um, you might be the only person that really can drive um, a solution, a resolution. And there are a lot of senior managers that want to be updated all the time, but they're not actually capable of fixing the problem. They're expecting you to fix the problem and keep them updated and direct all of these people who are, who are equally concerned about their, their, their future and feel the pressure of getting the bank back, you know, back up and running, restoring service to, to customers. And all of those things kind of coalesce around a, a, a really small number of people who, um, you know, frankly, it's an it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a unbelievably stressful time for um, uh, the, the leadership to operate in. And my, my experience is that there's no substitute for having, for having a plan. I think, um, uh, uh, you know, when you when you'd, uh, asked me to come along and, um, uh, and join this podcast today, you, you, in the, in the, the, you, you'd given some talking points and it said, you know, Mike Tyson's, you know, kind of everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? But having, you know, having a plan and having... Um, uh, a, a, a set of steps that you can follow and you that are kind of pre-planned and you can set people off on tracks to kind of follow them and do them it takes a lot of stress away because you're not having to think about it you don't forget important stuff but you've also got kind of pre you know can pre-canned instructions that you can you can use to to direct people while you're trying to figure out um what the actual solution is so the I think the, the 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 key ways for me of kind of reducing that stress level and reducing the amount of um, potential for human error and to and to miss stuff is is to is to really war game all of these types of uh, or as many of these scenarios as you can kind of think of, you know, outline plans and strategies and then and then test them. And I'm sure we'll get on to sort of um, some of the ways in which. Uh, architectures have changed to become more resilient the use of um public infrastructure and you know you, you know i'm sure andy will speak about uh, back in the 9-11 day which when you know he, he rebuilt merrill's network using i think one of the really the first uh, kind of times that the public network had been used as a as a the internet had been used as as, as a backup for a you know large banks private network um but the ability to kind of scale the ability to find resilience in um, in, in 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 public uh, infrastructures is something that um, is emerged over the last decade or so, 
And these are things that need kind of careful planning, rehearsal, as I said, kind of kind of war games, because you're not going to be able to devise sort of super creative strategies and, and, and implement them on the fly where you're trying to deal with a, with a crisis. Yeah. Okay. James, you're, you're kind of jumping a little bit, but that's okay. You know, it was a kind of, it was a nice little segue, you know, there, but I think what I want to get at kind of setting up like what to do next is maybe there's two things, maybe some of the biggest mistakes you've seen, you know, where there's all this stress, the personal stress, obviously on top of like all the business stress, you know, uh, that you're dealing with and all the, the work that has to get done in a really short amount of time. Um, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes maybe that you've both seen in your careers? Not naming names, but really just, you know, uh, mistakes. And, um, and also it'd be good to understand too, what do you think was going through the minds of the IT departments at, um, at Silicon Valley Bank over the, uh, really from like, I think when last, a week, you know, from last Wednesday to this Wednesday. So James, why don't I start with you on that one? I think again that the the mistakes come before the event. Um, it's in, insufficient investment in in resiliency, insufficient testing, insufficient planning, insufficient capacity, and um, your capacity is very hard, and resilience is very hard to build um, on 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 the fly. So having having enough capacity to deal with kind of known failures. And testing it rigorously is 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 the is 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 the best solution there. Um, when have I seen mistakes in the past? It's when we've it's when we've uh, underinvested in capacity. We have a failure of a particular system. That capacity has to move from the failed system to to a, a reserve system, and you can get into these um, you know kind of death spirals where you're moving capacity onto it, another system that's at the edge of capacity. And then um, you push that one over the edge, and so and 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 so on. And the only the only uh, solution at that point almost is kind of you know reboot your whole data center. So mm. um, it, it, you know the 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 mistake comes in the architecture and the planning for me that f- failing to recognize that um, you know bad things are going to happen and 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 having sufficient resilience in the in in the system to deal with it. Yeah, and sense. I mean, you talked about you talked about what's going through the minds, say, of 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 the folks in in SVB. I'm I'm not a mind reader, but you know those things that you know Andy had spoken about. You know the kind of personal dread of of you know is my you know is, is my entire kind of economic health um, going up in smoke? Is everything I've worked for for the last you know decade um, just just gone down the drain? And I've got and I've got to look after my customers, and I think. People feel incredibly responsible in banks about about their customers, and and the feeling of dread that they're going to have let people down um, will, will also be weighing very heavily on them. And you've you've got to start thinking in terms of kind of risk management, and what are the, what are the risks I have to the, the most um, uh, uh, prescient risk and and the most serious risks, and how how do I how do I deal with them in a in a in a sequential way? And for example, one um, you know one risk that you, you you may have is just the um, can I pay suppliers? Are my suppliers going to be willing to do business with me? Am I going to get cut off? In the in the case of um, Silicon Valley Bank, their suppliers of of technology might 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 also be banking with them, and you know they may not have enough liquidity to pay their 
um, uh, downstream providers. You know, so so you've got sort of fourth party risk there as well. But if I, you know, I'm I'm not a mind reader. I don't work at uh, Silicon Valley Bank. But if I'm in 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 their shoes during this uh, crisis, I'd be, you know, first and foremost worrying about um, can I continue to deliver service to my customers, mm. and what are the things that that are potentially going to go wrong and cause risk to the service that I'm, I'm I'm delivering, and and how do I deal with them, and that and that means working the phones, getting onto suppliers, getting onto partners. And just making sure everybody's pulling in the same direction. Yeah, hmm. great. Um, uh, Andy, you want to add uh, to that? So we're talking about biggest yeah, mistake. I, mean, I think I think That's... preparation is really what James was talking about, and yeah. and not just preparation, but having run the tabletop exercise, actually really had people playing role playing, and sometimes it's even good to actually not just role play, but to simulate. So, for example, if you think about a, a cyber incident. It's actually pretty easy to simulate one or even you could create one by phishing or something like that. And, and um, if you've run through the tabletop exercise, you will get at least, in my estimation, 20 to 30 things back from a two to three hour tabletop exercise that are improvements to the process that you thought was already great. So mm. so, so that's the first thing I would say. That's That's really, really important to do. And people often have plans that are written down, but unless you've acted them out, you don't really know what the what the playbook is to James's point. You really want your people to know what that playbook looks like. So that's a, a, a super important thing. The second mistake that people make is that they try to fix things in the way that they uh, built them instead of thinking about, wow, in this crisis, all these things have changed. How do I do something different than I would have done because I've only got five days and the traditional route's not going to work? So, mm -hmm. so when they say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, my experience after 9-11 is that that's true. And it isn't just about one super smart person. It's about everybody doing something different, whether it's a carpenter on building a new trading floor in Jersey City or, you know, the, the, the network team coming up with the idea of drilling a 14-inch hole through the wall of 570 Washington into UUNet, running fiber through it and running GRE tunnels over the Internet. You've got to have people that can actually think their way out of the IT side of the crisis. Hmm. Now, if you go back to 09 and you start thinking about what the regulators did after everything that happened, they also forced the banks to have a plan for what happens if one of their legal entities comes under tremendous pressure from a, from a balance sheet perspective. And these plans were created across the strategically important um, banks. And they, they had to create playbooks for these things and so on. However, um, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks really is that the trading positions on balance sheet risk so to convert that into english um cash that has been put into banks by depositors that has been essentially used to create a long-term return for the bank if you do that without a hedging plan in place so in this case you assume interest rates stay at one and a half percent and you don't assume that interest rates will go to 6% um, and you don't hedge for that possibility, then, mm. then, then you end up in the situation that we're in. And if you like, the lack of planning that I, I'm talking about for IT also applies to the business. So the, the resolution planning and so on that happened after 2008 mapped a certain number of scenarios. I don't think they really mapped this scenario like a run on the bank like this. But yeah. run on the bank's been happening for hundreds of years. This is not like a new thing. And so, and so in some ways, I feel like the 
uh, response from regulators to these mistakes need to be that, that there is a much more cohesive set of uh, planning required uh, to avoid the kind of mistakes that we've seen happen here, which caused then the knock-on to all the IT things um, that, that, that we discussed. So that, that's the first thing. The second thing is don't believe information you're told in a crisis, okay? You've got to validate the information. And what's happening when everyone's running around like an ant trying to figure out what to do, if you see a piece of information that you don't like, challenge the piece, the piece of information. Mm. I give you an example, 9-11, we're, we're, we're gonna move back to New York City in November. Okay, well, are we sure the air is safe? That, that mm. was a one hour discussion on a call. And, and, you know, there were people in the government telling us the air was safe, who then retracted that position in 2016. Mm. We actually forced our own people to do air quality testing because we weren't sure that the air was safe. These are the kind of things in a crisis you often don't think of, but you've got to think about the quality of the information that you're trying to make decisions on and understand that that information itself may be compromised. The third thing is that you assume that everyone's nice when things are bad. There are hackers that are just waiting for a situation like this to show up mm. so that they can come in, pile in and attack you at a time when credentials might be the last thing that people are thinking about when they're trying to pull their money out. So, mm. so, so if you're a hacker, this is like, this is like an event that's like, wow, there's, everyone's logging on all the time. So if we can just compromise the edge, we can get the usernames and passwords and maybe we can get in there first when, the, when it's reopened by, by the Fed and, and, and get the money. So I think that there's a, that those three things to me are, are really, really important. And, and this linkage between the bank doing disaster recovery planning and having resilience to James's point uh, mm -hmm. and the impact and knock on of that on IT is like really, really it's, it's like one of the most important things. Oh, yeah. and it's, it's a great it's a great point about bad actors, Andy, because um, in normal day to day uh, work, most of us um, most of the time, or hopefully all of us all the time, but most of us most of the time, um, are quite diligent about obeying the, the kind of policies and sticking with the kind of corporate rules and, and modes of communication and so on. When you're in a crisis, that starts to degrade, which is, which is the point at which you get um, e exposed to risks that previously you defended yourself against. So, hey, look, our email's down, let's all use WhatsApp or something, right? And then all of a sudden you're introducing new vectors um, which, had, which had been previously closed. So, you know, hey, I've got a WhatsApp from IT support saying, you know, I need to give them my login and my password because, you know, or to approve something on MFA because, you know, the systems are down. People don't behave in, in rational ways. And, and um, the... You know, one they're under stress. Two, um, there's a much more believable story about like why they might avoid controls. And three, um, it's 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 feeding time for the for the for the sharks when people are in trouble. Yeah. Well, these are so I you know I think we're starting to get to like you know the top five things, right? You know, um, one is like make sure you got a good playbook and play it out. You know, do the war game. Um, you know, assessment. I think what we're seeing here in the SVP case is that this scenario um, wasn't really um, playbooked out from the regulators. Um, to me, it's shocking, you know, from a, from a consumer, like I haven't had an operational role like you all have, but from a consumer point of view, where you have 22 analysts that didn't raise a red flag, that they're basically 
they're holding on to treasuries, which we think, you know, and they are safe, you know, but it's just like the interest rate volatility just went, you know, um, kind of off the charts and that kind of drove their capitalization down. And then, you know, we all know what happened, you know, after that. But I think it's like, um, try to think as many of these scenarios as you possibly can um, around crisis, you know, and then actually work them out, uh, play them out, validate information. I think that is like so key and, and that is like so, um, so important here is that, you know, make sure that don't take it on face value. But if you see something, hear something, some edict comes down and but doesn't sound right, kind of really question it. The exposure risk quotient really increases significantly during um, during a crisis where you have a lot of uh, hackers now kind of like it's their it's their St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> it's their like party uh, to come on in and try to take advantage of um, of a of a bad scenario, a bad situation where um, people's guards are down because they are underneath a lot more stress and they're just looking to to, to take advantage uh, of that. Did I miss anything, you know, in that? No, I think you got most of it. Yeah. So then what do we plan for? What's the most important thing to do now? Um, and I guess it's to kind of take those five things and start to actually work, work plans around them. But, um, but Andy, why don't you take that and then uh, we'll give it to James. I think uh, we'll probably close down after that. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, I think the most important thing is that your architecture itself is resilient. And what that means is that you've got diversity of everything. You've got diversity of where to send network traffic. You've got diversity of where to host applications. You've got diversity of how to recover data in ransomware, as an example. So, so I, think, I think diversity and, and availability, if you like, reliability, availability, scalability is the most important thing from an architecture perspective. I think also that that complexity is the enemy of risk. And so you, 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 what you have to do is look at really complex architectures, castle and moat security architecture with 10 different vendors in the DMZ. Um, you know, and even, even when you try to make a change for an application, you've got to get 10 things right in order for it to work. In a mm -hmm. crisis, try doing that. It's really, really hard. So, so I mean, I another example from 9-11 I'll give you. So we had literally just wired the first building in, in Merrill Lynch with Wi-Fi. We put Cisco's Wi-Fi in. It wasn't even live yet, actually. It was turned on, but no one was using it. And, and, and after 9-11 happened, literally the next day, we went and turned all of the um, Wi-Fi on using EAP. Right. We, we, we literally gave it was someone's someone's grandmother's phone number forward and then backward was the key. Right. But, but the thing is, you know, when, when you've actually got something like that, you can put seven and a half thousand people in a building with a file limit of a thousand people because you have to in order mm -hmm. to recover the company. And, and we literally had people coding on the, in the rooftop bar of the Iron Monkey in Jersey City um, where the, the Wi-Fi was leaking out of the building and we were able to put them up there because there was no space to put them in the building. So, so you know, when you think about contingency planning and you think about kind of um, how to deal with this, the, arch the simplicity of the architecture, the ease of giving out laptops to people, having Wi-Fi and letting them get back on the network and start doing things in a crisis is a really big deal. Mm. One thing I've seen through my board seat at Zscaler and also, you know, working with them since 2013 is that if you change your network architecture so that you don't require people to be on the network in order to do good work, 
you can completely transform the way you react in a crisis. By the way, that works really well in M&A. Like if you're, if you're divesting something, but they still need access through a transaction services agreement for two years to a set of applications, no big deal. They're not on your network, but they are able to use your applications. And so thinking about how you simplify the architecture to make it much easier to respond in a crisis is really important. The other thing that Zscaler does, and I'm not trying to sell it, it's just a really important thing to think about, is it reduces the risk surface area. And what that means is there aren't directly internet-facing IP addresses that people can DDoS after something bad has already happened. So, so this whole idea of reducing the risk surface area and, and putting architecture in place that drives simplicity makes recovery planning and actually, honestly, in the moment, crisis planning so much easier to do. I mean, it really is, is phenomenal. And I mean, I'll give you one other example. You know, during COVID, um, we have a number of com customers of Zscaler who rolled out ZPA to 60,000 users over a weekend. Right. Because they knew their VPNs wouldn't wouldn't hold up. They, they, they had to do something. So, again, in a crisis, don't assume that you can't do something in a day. You know, we for one of the major banks, we deployed ZPA in China in a day when it was clear that China was under pressure and the rest of the world hadn't seen what was coming with COVID yet. So so if you innovate when you're in the crisis, you will determine things like the example I gave earlier of pushing the fiber through the wall of 570 Washington and using the internet as our network, which we ran our business on for 90 days. Mm. As soon as I became head of networks, which was about a month and a half after 9-11, I was like, we're going to build a global internet overlay network because I believe that in a crisis, it will, it will save us from um, you know, lack of connectivity, but more importantly, it'll keep us in the market when others are not. And mm. so it creates opportunity. It's not just about managing risk, resilience gives you opportunity as well so there's my two cents on your question yeah that's those, that was more than two cents um Three so cents. i think we got our money's worth you know? <laughs> uh but james go ahead please so i, I you know to, to sort of i think the great david wheeler said you know there's no all problems in in computer science are solvable by another layer of a, a level of indirection i think you know all problems in infrastructure are solved by another layer of abstraction and um what i mean by that is is uh in order to provide the, the, the redundancy, resilience, the capacity that you need, you have to kind of break the link between the business function and the underlying topology. You can't tie people, for example, and Andy mentioned um, remote access during COVID. If, you, if, you, if you're tying people to certain remote access hubs and you, and you lose one or two of them, well, or, or, or you have to boost the, um, the population by 10x, what do you do? You can't scale out fast enough so you've got to kind of um you, you know, certainly in the in the in the the last bank i worked for we built large remote access hubs which could any one of which could um could take the whole population of the bank and um routinely we just turn them off and use traffic steering to steer traffic to another hub and in the same way um you know most of the banks have moved to that kind of model for their um uh, public-facing applications, customer applications, where you're running them in multiple data centers at any one point in time, you can you can shut down a data center seamlessly and have that traffic fail over to to alternate capacity. And that that those are, those are architectural decisions that have to be made a long time in advance because applications have to be have to be built in that way. And as we're starting to see more hybrid cloud. Um, 
being deployed into into um, enterprises and particularly the large uh, uh, financials, you know, you've then got a whole new level of you know additional capacity and resilience. But your your applications have to be architect to be able to take advantage of that, and th that 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 means um, kind of decoupling the way that applications work from the underlying infrastructure so that they can become much more um, much more portable. And I think these these kind of um, uh, uh, sort of the, the move to more cloud native um, and the move towards um, hybrid cloud is going to make is going to make enterprises and financial institutions much more resilient to to events that occur and can 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 impact uh, the 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 technology base. Um, but of course, uh, if we go back to the start of your um, uh, you, you know the, the the question, Nick, you know the the SVB crisis and and um uh you know what 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 could we have done better well the answer is you know in technology this probably isn't a lot we could have done um we could have done better it wasn't a it wasn't a technology problem right. but the the you know technologists were prepared to deal with the secondary effects of that market crisis which is a huge amount of volume you know markets becoming very unstable massive amounts of kind of um uh, trading volume spiking at uh, nine o'clock on a Monday morning, and those those are the things that we can um, that we can support our our customers and support our enterprise with by by planning and building for the worst case and relentlessly testing it. Yeah, well, um, this has really just been uh, super great. I love just the whole concept of simplifying the architecture. Where, like, when your dependency map is like you know, 10, 15 devices long on an application, and then you have to change that. That only makes common sense is that that is going to be really hard, you know, during a, during a point of crisis. Um, you know, um, I think, you know, both simplifying and planning out, these are like really two great uh, kind of nuggets, you know, to, to communicate to everyone. And I think the color that both of you provide uh, to that um, and the insight that you provide to it um, is hopeful, is, is beneficial, you know, to the community for them to, to hear that. So um, I want to thank both you guys so very much. Uh, I love the conversation. I'm sure everybody else will as well. So thank you, James. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Thanks Andy. Great to see you, Andy. Great.